Thank you for tuning in to the You Own the Experience podcast. In this week's episode, Lauren and I sit down to wrap about the future of our workforce, whether that's work from the office, work from home, work from anywhere, or hybrid. And then for our interview, we sit down with Angela Alberti, VP of Sales of MyBasePay, for a really exciting conversation about the new tool, MyBasePay, and all the stuff that really is important for the back office. The interview actually revolves around how your back office can turn into one of your biggest differentiators, how you have to constantly be working towards tech stack perfection, and how the staffing industry is something that finds you and not something you usually plan for. This episode is brought to you by our good friends over at Workin, Able, and Great Recruiters. Also, remember to celebrate one year of the podcast. We're giving away five $100 donations to the charity of your choice. All you have to do is subscribe to the podcast via ableteams.com slash podcast. And we will choose a winner or the five winners at the end of May. As always, please remember to rate, review, and share the episode. We grow when you talk about us. Thank you guys so much. We appreciate our listeners and enjoy the show. Thank you guys for tuning in. I'm Rob Mann, your co-host. And I'm Lauren Jones. And this is the You on the Experience podcast. Lauren, how you doing? I am super fantastic. Ooh, super fly. So thank you guys for tuning in. Today, Lauren and I are going to be talking about getting ready for the future of work. And then we're going to share our fascinating interview with Angela Alberti of My Base Pay, uh, which is one of our least favorite topics, which is the back office, but we'll get to that in a second. That's such a great opening. It's one of our least favorite topics. It's so unfair to the back office because all of the front office stuff is so sparkly and shiny. We don't need to talk about this yet, but one of the one of the things that we talk about is why it could be one of the biggest differentiators for your business. So as much as I'm bashing on it, it is super valuable. And and to be fair, right, one of the main reasons that firms lose business is incorrect invoicing and incorrect pay. And and when you have a negative experience like that, it's really hard to unravel. Yeah, that's a huge part of the candidate experience, right? No one wants that phone call on on a Friday afternoon, like where the hell is my pay? So we've all gotten them if we've done staffing, right? I remember like, and by the way, when you staff doctors and they work 10 shifts and they're making like 200 bucks an hour and they're wondering where their paycheck is, that's a lot of freaking money. Yeah, but as as important as I remember doing a, a big transformation that impacted the back office for our minimum wage hourly workers and they were throwing rocks at windows, you know, when they weren't paid. And, I, you know, an extreme case, but just as important, you know, you really have our minimum wage workforce out there that that does live paycheck to paycheck and we need to be empathetic to that. And so back office, you know, while we may giggle and tease that it's not the funnest topic, it is one of the most important and undervalued. Yeah. So definitely, definitely a conversation worth turning into or tuning into. But uh, uh, before that, let's talk about our wrap. So our readiness, awareness, and proactive campaign that we are trying to drive into the staffing and recruiting industry. Yes. Are you rapping? <laughs> so what we're going to talk about today is the future of work. And, and the idea is going to be wrapped around, are you ready for a hybrid work from home, work from anywhere? Are you aware of the tools and the strategies to help you execute and create really great experiences for your recruiters so they can create great experiences for your talent and your customers? And then are you proactively planning? Do you have a game plan? If you don't, that's literally what Lauren does. So LJ, let's jump in. 
and talk about readiness, right? Like, so what do they, what do people need to be paying attention to besides just paying attention to it in general? Well, well, yeah. I mean, I I think we have this beautiful opportunity to learn some valuable lessons that 2020 taught us, and I think 2020 taught us that we can have this hybrid workforce and still be successful. We can still hold people accountable. But are you ready to continue this hybrid? situation that I I think many agencies are creating. You know, we saw the statistics. Most businesses are going to continue with a hybrid a hybrid model. And so are you ready to further your culture? And are you ready to continue to connect people? Are you ready to continue to train? Because and this is the this is the one thing that you know I will continue to drive home is you know as we do look at the future of work, training is not is is like buying a car and changing the oil continuously, right? You wouldn't buy a car and not change the oil. Uh, or change the tires, you know, and, and and get it looked at on a regular basis. And and so you wouldn't implement a technology and you just wash your hands of it. This is, are you ready to consistently provide content and support to your teams as we move towards this hybrid model? I like it. So it's almost training as a service tasks, mm-hmm. if you will. So we're, ah, and, we love our acronyms here. We do. Broad was working at Bullhorn. And I was thinking about SI partners and everything. And like, I'm like, I don't understand why these guys don't have a training as a service line item that they can provide because it's so invaluable and underappreciated right now. And I think, I think you're right. Like it's, it, so it was a business I was thinking about operating. I know you do that. And that's not why I'm saying this it was literally a thought I had a long time ago, back to 2008. And yeah, it, it's definitely on my mind. I think the other thing too, is you have to be, you really need to be ready to a, adopt a different mentality in how you engage that workforce because if they're you know like there's no pats on the backs and beers on a friday it's really the can we disrupt without disruption <laughs> right and because you know I, I one of the one of the implications of transformation that i have every customer sort of really acknowledge um, in their readiness is how mu- what's your tolerance level for disruption and that doesn't mean that you don't implement it it may just mean that the way we do it might be um, in more bite-sized pieces and it, it might take a little bit longer but it will help you with adoption so you know dependent upon the size of size and support of your organization so can you disrupt without too much business disruption because you're with your small and mid-sized firms that business disruption means revenue and so we have to be really mindful of 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 readiness and being poised in the right way to implement this technology and training is an ongoing thing and anybody that tells you differently is selling you oceanfront property in arizona so it's it's ongoing you can buy that for the cheap right now anyway (laughs) maybe like orlando will be oceanfront soon but who, who knows anyway so guys, it's um, that's vital. And by my head is like, there's so many ways that this could go. There's so many different parts of this conversation. And I like that question, by the way. How okay are you with disruption? Like, what's your tolerance level? What's your tolerance level? And you know, and it's totally okay if your tolerance level is is minimal. That's okay. We just have to know that, acknowledge it, and work with it, and work work a little bit around it. There's there's you know, I'm not a big boil the ocean when it comes to implementation. If we need to do strategic, targeted, geographical, or vertical driven implementations, you know, let's do what works best for the business. 
and let's do what works best to get the technology adopted because that's why you're making this large investment. So business disruption has to be a consideration in your readiness approach. Yeah, I think that applies to like when you're selling here, Fisher Sense, right? An automation tool because it's going to disrupt and you have to understand that. I, I didn't ask that question, but now in retrospect, I think I would. So that's a great question. This is what they pay me the big bucks for, right? They, they do. All right, <laughs> awareness. So, you know, Obviously, training is a part of this, but technologies, you know, who you should be listening to from a leadership perspective of what you, what you can be doing and can't be doing. Are you aware of the tools at your disposal to make sure that as you prepare for potential disruption, are you aware of the tools that can make it a little bit easier? Do you have an intranet? If you don't have an intranet, do you know the options that you might have? To internal community, maybe if it's even, even if it's just Slack or Teams or something like that, do you have those tools at your disposal as you consider readiness? Are you aware of all of the options out there to to ensure as we embark upon, again, hybrid, and we look to keep content in front of individuals on a regular basis, are you aware of the tools out there that can support that effort? And that awareness will help you make the best decisions because the awareness of the tools out there are going to drive, you know, where you put it, how you put it, how people are looking at it, how they're responding to it, how you track it. And I think that's probably one of the most meaningful parts of digital transformation and training is how are you tracking it? How are you measuring it? What's the cadence? What's the frequency? all of those questions. And, and, and so being aware of all the tools at your disposal, all the metrics you should be looking at is a crucial part of, of, the, of the future. I couldn't agree more. I saw one of my old colleagues at Bullhorn go to a, a tool called WorkVivo, which is like a, a Slack, not really, not like a full communication platform, but it's more of like a community builder for a company it has its own app. You have your web portal, but everyone logs in. It's it's kind of like the internet, so it can be a repository for data. And I was like super excited about it because hybrid, guess what? Like, you know, these enterprise companies are going to adapt that first. Uh, but it but it's gonna it's gonna be some version of it is going to be there for everyone. And you know, there's a lot of community tools that are that you can integrate into a Slack or or a Teams. You know, there's a whole we're looking at this stuff uh, for our community that we're building, hint hint and how to build a community online and, and making it easy to share information and have relevant you know, people engaging. So there's a bunch of community tools like Circle. There's one called Tribe. And you can use those internally for your internal culture and intranet. So check those out if you're not aware. I totally agree. Yeah, there's there's a, a number of different. I, I'm a big fan of Simpler. It's for the larger organizations. Huge fan of Facebook's work product. And the name is escaping me, Workforce or something like that. And I'm a huge fan there. I built an entire program there. And so for the, the builders of this training curriculum, build it where your people are. That is the one also missing link. It's got to be, it's got to be accessible so that you can, you know, drive traffic there and um, you, can, you can get that visibility that you need because now more than ever, training is marketing and marketing is, you know, and you know, we have very, very small attention spans. That's okay. So are we aware of the tools that are going to help us work within the unique setting that we have today, which is that, that hybrid, a hybrid opportunity for us? Yep. And then finally, proactive. 
if you are considering readiness, if you are aware, you're going to be able to put together a proactive roadmap that will align with your organization's financial goals, right? This, these two things should be lock and step. And, and it's the proactiveness of taking all of those things into consideration, you know, readiness, awareness, proactiveness, that will help you really disrupt without disruption. And, and that, that's the key there is to disrupt without disruption of revenue. And so it's walking that fine line. And what that reminds me of is like, if you are buying technology and throwing it at problems and not being proactive and having it roadmapped, like the idea of a roadmap is you see what's coming and you start to prepare. And if that means internal marketing, coat of paint, making sure it's going to work the way it is, reevaluating the tool that you decided that's going to fix and fit into the roadmap, reevaluating to make sure that that's really what you want based on current technologies and future roadmaps of of technologies. It just gives you the opportunity to make better choices if you're doing it proactively or if you are buying reactively. And like, listen, as a salesperson, I love FOMO sales, but like, that's not the best choice, right? Like it's not the best choice for your business. FOMO sales, and I I see this a lot with organizations where they're buying something to put a band-aid on something. And it it isn't the best approach because you you end up really, you know, I end up coming in and going, okay, as we peel this onion, you bought this and you bought this. There's significant overlap here. You can overbuy in so many cases and you can overbuy and underutilize. And QBRs, I mean, my goodness, and this this is what I tell every agency. We give our customers quarterly business reviews, EBRs, QBRs, whatever you want to call them. We sit down with our our staffing customers and we talk about how we've added to the quality of their business or help them meet their business goals. Why wouldn't we do the same with our vendor partners? Are they a part of our solution? Are we tracking the ROI on every individual vendor? Do you have a metric? for ROI for each independent vendor, whether it's their impacting time to fill or time to submit or um, the you know candidate experience, streamlining that experience and minimizing clicks. So whatever it is, there has to be a metric in your proactiveness. And those quarterly business reviews are such a wonderful proactive way to understand what is on that technology's roadmap. Do you want to participate in whatever advancement they may be making and have a clear clear ability to make that decision? Sometimes I didn't want to partake in the version one of, of an upgrade. I wanted them to iron out the kinks. But until you sit down on a regular basis with your vendors to understand that, you can't intelligently make that determination. I was a part of that, by the way. I one of your former workplaces. Um, (laughs) That was a very fun thing for releasing, releasing updates to a certain company. Yes. But but the people are lovely. So that was, that was, that made it all better. And they were super efficient and good at their jobs, thankfully. So I will say that. So guys, so much, so much there. Um, So much much wrap. Yeah. Like we, we wrapped the hell out of this. If this was a, if this was a Christmas gift, it'd be like quadruple, quintuple wrapped. Yes. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, so, Lauren, I mean, just again, be ready, be aware, and be prepared for the future of work. Oh, and and the, the proactive part, I always ask, I wanted to ask you this, is if, you know, based on revenue size, like based on size, right, like smaller, mid-size, the founder and the leadership team are probably working still in the business at some, at, for some percentage of the time. At some revenue number, they need to get the hell out of the business and be, be the strategic leader. So, if you are like, a zero to that point where I don't know what the number is, but like you're, you're zero to that number where you need to get out of the business. 
how much a percentage of time of a weekly or monthly basis should those small to medium-sized business owners be be delegating to thinking about and working on the business and not in it? Well, I don't know if it's a percentage of time or I, I, I think it's really, or, or a percentage of revenue really, where I, I think you need to understand out of the gate what percentage of revenue you want to invest in your transform, you know, continued transformation, right? Because this is, you know, road to self-improvement is, is, is always under construction, right? So what percentage of revenue do you want to continue to commit to reinvesting back in the business to, to innovate? And with that will impact the percentage of time that you have to remain in the business. Now, all of that being said, the, the best small business owners put a lot back on the vendor partners because they're really, really clear with their expectations. So for those new firms, you know, understanding what your requirements are is one of the most fundamental ways that you can really get your vendor to do more for you because there's clarity of purpose. And so for those small business owners, that clarity of purpose really helps your vendor understand what value they're going to bring to the table. So you can lean a little bit more on them as a vendor partner to support your efforts. So I don't necessarily think that as you continue to transform and you put more tools out there that you're going to be doing more, but you do need to do more in setting the expectation and having clarity of purpose there. And that way you can lean on those vendor partners a little bit more, do more with less by having a really clear understanding of what you want. Got it. So it's something that we could coach them on maybe. Okay. Awesome. All right. So as much as I was kidding around, guys, I'm super excited for you guys to, to hear the interview with Angela, talk about back office, about a, a lot of tech stack conversation and how having an, a partner maybe in your, in your back end of your, of your process could help you be more efficient and win more business. So well, and I think there's going to continue to be more pressure on us to pay faster, to pay daily, to pay, you know, there's going to be more pressure. And there's going to be more, you know, as we we move to this sort of freelance approach and people getting paid as they go. And, you know, this this back office component, you know, while we tease is, is really, really important for them to continue to innovate and integrate so that when we do have complexities like you were talking about, particularly in healthcare, where you may work for one hospital, but you're working on three different floors at three different pay rates, three different um, schedules, that the complexities that we're pushing to the back office are translated appropriately so that the candidate and the client have a great billing and a great pay experience. It's a huge impact on your brand. I love it. All right. So stay tuned, guys. After this short break from our sponsor, Workin which is also a future of work tool. We'll get to that interview. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you. This episode of the You Own the Experience podcast is brought to you by Workin. Workin develops world-class software solutions to support the workforce ecosystem, including a white-labeled online SaaS staffing platform featuring fully integrated mobile apps, Workin provides strategic leadership as the staffing industry navigates towards CX transformation to benefit clients and today's workforce, resulting in increased revenue, profitability, and recruiter productivity. Workin integrates with other best-in-class partners, including ABLE, to further enhance the candidate experience throughout the application, onboarding, and credentialing process. Interested in transforming CX? Contact sales at workin.com to schedule a demo or visit workin.com to learn more. What's up, Angela? How you doing? Thank you for being on. 
Hello, everyone. I'm so excited to be here. Rob and Lauren, I'm fans of you guys online, so this is going to be fun. Yes, we are super excited to have Angela on because Angela is an expert in, in one thing that like I become an ostrich and stick my head in the sand when people bring up in our conversations. And Lauren is forced to deal with, which is the back office. So yeah, I, I try to avoid it. Lauren unfortunately doesn't get to because she has to, she does full stack kind of uh, consulting and I do automation mostly and marketing. So Angela, let's let you give a quick two minute elevator pitch, like what you do, you know, what you do, your background and my base pay. And then we'll jump into, you know, more of a conversation around why it's important, why people need to pay attention to it, et cetera. Awesome. Awesome. Well, well, thank you for the intro. I'm Angela Albury. I'm the VP of growth at MyBasePay. And we are a startup, a startup that specifically helps recruiting, staffing firms, basically anyone that needs to put anyone out on assignment on a temporary basis when it comes to the oversight of their back office. And I think we take it a step further because we don't just help oversee the onboarding and the timesheet chasing and the invoicing and all that fun stuff that you guys love so much. LJ and, and Rob are just huge fans of it, but we also absorb the liability when it comes to the oversight of this type of contingent, temporary project, gig, whatever you want to call it. It has so many different names. We absorb that liability as well. So it's almost a, a two-pronged approach. Yes, we administer. Yes, we can help run the flow of everything, but we also take full responsibility of the workers that are brought through our system. So uh, that's a little bit of a rundown on myself, the company, and what we do. Well, that's an amazing offering. And immediately, I have like 25 questions in the back of my, <laughs> my head because I'm like, okay, okay, so you're taking all the phone calls. You're from customers and candidates. You know, those are primary reasons that end users whether it's a client or a candidate might leave an agency is, is because this isn't done right or it's not done timely. And so you're removing all of that work? Yes, exactly. And that's what we help do. And I guess it makes sense to understand really, you know, what what is the back office? I think it's uh-huh. just kind of, as I've said, it's like put baby in the corner. Oftentimes it's, it's one of the most administratively burdensome part of any staffing operational staff when it comes to their temp and contract workforce. So from the time that a contractor is identified, we'll take over. So technically, we assume responsibility in the middle office, I guess you could say. I think staffing industry analyst defines the middle office as onboarding and timesheet keeping. That's where we take over, if, of course, they want us to when it comes to the staffing agency. Because, you know, all the staffing agencies have a unique approach to how they handle their temp workers. Yeah, yeah some have it consolidated, some don't. You know, I, I think those that consolidated are a little, usually tend to be a little bit more efficient, but okay. If you're like me and you want to stick your head in the sand and not pretend like <laughs> onboarding timesheets. By the way, it's good to know that middle office includes time collection, time and expense collection, because I think that's something yeah. that like, yeah. like it, it, it makes more sense, right? Like when I was working at Bullhorn, and we were talking about middle office. It's like, okay, onboarding. And we didn't really, uh, but like onboarding and time and expense was actually all one big package at Bullhorn. It's a, there's a different, there's different tools now that they have for it, but that's good. And then obviously going into more of like, you guys handle the general ledger, the invoicing, et cetera. Like obviously the company has their own GL, but you're, you're essentially handling ex, you know, collections and then pushing yep. all that data to them so that they understand what they're collecting. Yeah. And, and That's right. It. So like the invoicing and then everything that needs to be done. And actually, maybe we should take it a step back. When we look at the success rate of staffing startups, 
there's such a high probability that a staffing startup is destined for failure. And I hate to say it like that. I think I saw one study that said 70% of staffing startups fail. And it's probably consistent with the number one reason why most businesses fail. And it all comes down to money, right? So if you have 10 workers out on assignment and these 10 workers get paid $100 an hour, you need to be able to float a lot of cash to support these workers before you even see payment on the first invoice. As an industry standard, usually your, your receivables don't come in until 30, 60 days later. So you're floating a lot of cash just to be able to support these workers. We help with that. We advance all payroll funding and also all of the profit funding. So anytime a staffing agency is on our system, they're getting profit for these invoices that we're generating in the same week. So neither the contractors nor the staffing agencies are out a certain period of time on the receivables. They get that the moment there's activity in that system. So one of my, you know, one of my things that I hang my hat on, right? There is no transformation without integration. And as I'm yeah. building stacks, sadly, oftentimes back office is the last thing that is thought of. You know, right, wrong, or indifferent. I, I, I think they look at it as a necessary evil and not as a potential differentiator. So, I mean, <laughs> I, obviously, with your offering, there are some potential differentiators just from a support perspective. You know, timely return calls. I mean, are so I have two questions. One, there's no transformation without integration. So where are you integrated? And then two, tell me a little bit about the support that you offer and, and SLAs that might surround that, right? Every agency is going to you know, want to have, you know, or respond in X period of time or what have you. Do you have, do you have any of that as far as a deliverable or a differentiator? Lauren's yeah, not so, use you, by the way. Like Lauren's like <laughs> trying to, it was like, I, I, I'm going to use you. As, as yeah, yes, point, yes, so. yes. I, I've got Just it Just so all. you know. <laughs> I'm, yeah, yeah, no, actually, I'm going to call you, I'll call you after this, Lauren. Okay. Um, but <laughs> no, I mean, when, and let's take that first part, integration. So we would not be able to do what we do if, if we weren't integrated with the various systems and platforms that we utilize. If you look at the staffing agency's makeup, you're dealing with at least 12 different vendors just to help you stay afloat, whether that's the front office and all the capacities, but same would lie into the back office, your pre-screening provider, your workers' comp, your insurance broker, your payroll processing platform, your ERP or however you're creating these invoices. All of our systems are integrated with what is a front-facing platform for our agencies to utilize. So when they log into the dashboard, they're getting real-time data on people. That, what's happening with timesheets for that particular week? You know, what invoice is going out? What does my financials look like? Where are my DSOs when it comes to the receivables? All of that is possible because we're integrated with various different platforms. So I've spoken with so many different staffing agencies. When I ask them just one question, like, how many people do you have out on payroll? Well, nine times out of 10, their response is, you know, because how, how do you realistically know until you carry the three? Yes. Now we want to take that a step further. Who's counting? So we have several hundred people on our platform already. We're looking into, or we just started to scratch the surface on what will be our front-facing integrations through various ATS systems. Yeah, that'll be an important component of your of your success. And 
you know, as you look at the candidate experience, you know, and this is sort of my warning to all agencies as we look to on-demand products and, and uh, white-labeled products, making sure that the candidate has one experience to engage with is going to be kind of a fundamental. And what I mean by one experience is, you know, their, their yeah. front office information of their assignment and, and where they're in the interview process and, and having all of that ready and at their fingertips. But, you know, their W-2 and any pay mm-hmm. information and any wages, having that, you know, ready and accessible in, in one engagement or, you know, in, in one place is where we're moving towards and where everybody needs to have their head focused, I feel like. Yeah, we yeah. just need one platform that does the front-facing ATS and everything else that involves the back office because usually, the, I mean, it's it's such a segmented model, I think, and I'm not sure if any, has anyone done that? Maybe we're onto something. Maybe we can start that. No, no, there's. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. There's, there's plenty of offerings yeah. out there where, where yeah. the employee portal can be, can be uh, integrated. A one-stop shop. One-stop portal. Absolutely. I think the, you know, the thing that I, this, so this is something that I did, like I was becoming aware of when I was at Bullhorn, became way more aware of at, a, or at a Herefish, but at Able, like in my head, I was like, okay, we need to wrap our head around flexibility of, of and, and consolidation, right? So, because again, Angela, you said it, there's a million different ways people organize their staffing. The only thing in staffing that's consistent is that it's all over the place in, in processes <laughs> yeah. and workflows. Yeah, right. there's no one size fits all at all. Yeah, and, and how they do things is, is, or we do things is super disparate, just in general, right? There's no like, this is the best practice, guys, just go do that. And like, no one, no one follows that. Like, there are some companies that come out of a Robert Half or a Deco that like, you know, follow those methodologies, right? But yeah. it's it's super variable. So having the ability to plug and play, but also plug and play tools, but making sure that those plug and play tools create a frictionless experience mm-hmm. for the candidate, mm-hmm. like not having to go into, like the main one being not having to have 16 different logins, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So right, like, which is an experience that many candidates have today is that their front office engagement or, you know, their assignment information and and where they get their pay information and benefit information are, are two different places. And we just have to re- be really mindful as we continue to go through this industry digital transformation that we're mindful of candidate experience. And as we continue to sort of press on this, you know, everybody needs to have their own app, you know, mission or a flag that everybody's flying. Remember that the average candidate signs up with four to six agencies. And if you have multiple places for the candidate to go, that is not going to be a meaningful experience, right? And, and right. So anything that you're doing to consolidate that, I think is going to be exceedingly meaningful. Now, I want to know about options for pay and options for benefits. You're taking all of this, you know, quote unquote liability. What are you offering the candidate and what options do they have for pay? So how is that going to work with the other offerings that tie in with the front office through the candidate mm-hmm. experience? Now, when it comes to the benefits, that's something that we really took into consideration because just as we were mentioning you know, earlier uh, before we started the recording, a lot of times I've spoken to enough temp workers to know that they go through certain types of treatment. They don't necessarily have access to health insurance or have access or even consider a paid time off model. So the benefit about having a partner like MyBasePay is that you probably would have access to health insurance offerings that make it more affordable and attainable for them. 
and also a paid time off model that's built in. So every single worker through our system is eligible to take a week off every year paid. That's just built into our cost. Wow. Obviously, those advantages that give you the difference in the curation of your talent pool at a local level and also even nationally knowing that you can support somebody through this back office platform, even if they are located in Wyoming or what have you. Excellent. Very cool. Got it. So let's go, let's, let's circle back here and talk about where you think, you know, we keep talking about these, these places where the candidate's going to engage. So let's kind of focus on there. Do you see anything on demand and gig base that's going to be driving back office conversations and, and technology? Yeah, I think that there's two things that are really going to be affecting what is the contingent worker landscape. And so often we hear about the future of work and, and what is that implication, but not to, to bring this up again, but the pandemic really is, is pressing forward towards a more flexible working relationship. I think a lot of times, you know, it's almost two-sided. It, it, it's employers that are looking to have this more agile type of workforce, but it's also the employees, and I, and I was actually on another interview through the podcast that we do with Brian Pena, and he coined this. It's almost like we're going through this worker revolution as well. Last year, we had plenty of people file for their LLC, this kind of entrepreneur renaissance, if you will. So there's people that are definitely by either means of necessity or by means of pursuing a newfound passion by being cooped up during a pandemic that are pushing for this contingent worker model. So it's like this dichotomy that's taking place, and I call it the perfect storm, that all signs are pointing to higher demand for contingent work. But to that end, we're also going to be talking about back office more because I think that there's going to be more of an oversight or more of a consideration on how to properly, compliantly, and statutorily follow all of the requirements that are needed for temp workers and independent contractors particularly on the IC front with what's happening with Biden and his administration and what they could potentially do. So the implications are the demand is there, but also the need of how it's going to be overseen and properly overseen is going to be a higher consideration as well. I agree with you 100% that the pandemic really did force people to rethink the way that they were supporting their families or supporting themselves. Yeah, I mean, and and I'm a great example of that, right? I just, I went out, I, you know, it's kind of an early, early, early victim of it and decided, you know, and I can no longer put my my faith. I, I just didn't, couldn't stomach the idea of having my livelihood or my future in somebody else's hands, right? And I think a lot of people are, you know, regardless of vertical, whether it's commercial, what, whatever type of work it is, I think there are a lot of individuals out there that are just done having having their fate put in somebody else's hands I think is is sort of at least generally that's the feedback but and there's so many statistics around gig work and the participation and the work from home and the flexible work and you know women were just really adversely affected with the pandemic mm-hmm. with 55% of, of the workforce that was laid off being women and many of those women still not coming back. So I mean, three million, to, three, around 3 million not coming back. Yeah. Which yeah. Is yeah. It is, it's, it's an atrocity. And, mm-hmm. and if you follow me, you know, I've got my woman crush Wednesday. I feel wildly passionate about making sure that, you know, women are, have a flexible way to, to return to the workforce. Mm-hmm. So what are some of your predictions for the future of work? What do we need to know and how, what, what's your part in that? Maybe I'm an optimist. 
in saying this, but I think the future of work is going to be, and it should be, around the worker. I mean, what are the, the differentiators that you're going to do to extend to your working class and population to make sure that you're treating them fairly, adequately paying them, giving them the benefits that they deserve, accommodating to their schedule, being able to support them at whatever state that they decide to move to. And I think that that's where the basis of the future of work is. There's so many different premises that we can take beyond that. Like, is it more, is it going to be more of an increase on the contingent worker or a third party mix? Is it going to be more of a supporting on, on a global scale because globalization is here and, and we know that because the pandemic has forced us into that? Is it going to be more so on having the data to oversee the worker and candidate process so that you know that they're all being fulfilled? But at the root of all of this is the worker. And now we've got Gen Z and millennials that are going to be the majority of the working population. And we don't care necessarily about the things that you know, generations before us cared about. It's not like we're committing to a 40-year plan with a company and getting the golden watch. I think, you know, some studies, as, as you've shown, have indicated that women care more about, you know, the right type of culture that's going to be conducive to their mom and working life, try to balance that. And then millennials care more about freedom and flexibility than, than health insurance. And Gen Z wants you to be acutely aware of social issues that are happening. All of these constructs are vastly different from what we've typically annotated to workers in the past before. And again, my thing on the future of work is always going to be about the worker and more, more so than it is in the past. So. We are birds of a feather, my friend. We are definitely, <laughs> because I, I, you know, and, and Rob, same thing, right? This, this entire, the, the podcast was, you know, you own the experience, right? And all around the worker and everything that we're doing is to have a frictionless environment. And, and you know what, we're a part of, we, as an industry, we have to be as much a part of the solution and not as much, you know, we, everybody's kind of into the, the branding and my brand, we got a brand, we got, we have to do those things, but we have to do those things with the candidate in mind. And if it means you don't get your own app, well, then we have, we might have to rethink that, you know, or rethink the way that we're doing that. I think there's going to be a huge consultant validation opportunity if we continue down this path. But I digress, probably for a different podcast. For another I'm a huge day. fan of the worker, right? I think, yeah, I think, agreed. I think the, listen, at the end of the day, there's a lot of things that you said, right? Like our parents' generation, and, and Lauren, this goes back to what the culture code, the Aaron Meyer book that we keep talking about, mm-hmm. that everyone's talking yeah. about. The culture map, the culture map and the culture code. There's two of them. Um, must read okay. them. <laughs> Noted. And, and so, I, you know, I just applied this in my head, right, Lauren? It's like the, our parents, I think, were hierarchical, right? Like they just wanted to be told what to do. And then as they progressed, they would take those roles on and they would start to learn and they would do those roles. Whereas like, if you don't know what to do and, and I'm working for you, like, I'm probably going to tell you. <laughs> We're like, well, I heard this, this, and this. Like, I don't know if it works, but let's try it. And if you don't try it and the same awful things keep happening, I'm probably going to leave. Right, like, well, and I, I can tell you, I did this. I, like, I, this happened to me at a locums company. I was flat out telling the VP of recruiting, "Hey, we need sales. Like, you need to find someone who can get us job orders. I, like, you're great at operations. You're terrible at motivating us. You only want to like, like, it's great. You have KPIs. Talk about the same KPIs every one on one. But what is that doing to make sure that this business is sustainable? 
And well, and I think grow. you said on something, right? Uh, if you look at the tenure of, of the millennial versus the generation before it, it's considerably less, if not cut in half. I mean, there's they, there's I not a care. generation that has an issue with that. Yeah, I don't, I don't Clearly. care if you're my boss. <laughs> because if you don't like it, it's cool. Like, you hired me. Like, I might have ideas. I, they may not be right. But, like, let me say it. Let's talk about them and throw them out if we don't think they're going to work. But, like, don't just say no because you're my boss. Like, it's an egalitarian thing, egalitarian thing, not a hierarchy. And I, you know, whatever. You could hate me or love me for it, but that's me. No, I definitely think that. And look, as recruiters, we're talking about, you know, I advised very early on and still advise kind of on the on best practice recruiting, right? And I will tell recruiters, we don't necessarily care about the turnover on the resume. Like it used to be like the primary part of the conversation is tell us about this gap of employment. Yeah. And tell us yeah. about why you left <laughs> this company, right? Why were you the only there for a year? And, and we're, you know, having this. That's exactly how I was trained as a recruiter. Right, right, right. Look for the gaps of employment and look, if you've got turnover Susie, right, you need to find out why she's always turning over somewhere. Now, you know, we look at, or at least the way that I train is, look, it's curriculum vitae. It's a course of life. And as long as somebody can articulate the reason and, and, and the whys behind why they took that course, then you know, you're going to have a viable candidate in front of you that's going to be, be able to articulate themselves in, in front of a customer. That, that, and so you're, you're absolutely right in your assertion that the, the future of work, I think, I agree with you, is going to be around the candidate and around the worker and making it as meaningful and as fric- frictionless as possible. And back office is going to be a component of that. Whether you like it or not, Robert, man, just going to outsource it, right? If you don't want to do it, if it's that much of a pain in the, in the rear for you, then yeah, there are options. I- I, I try and get it outsourced. Like Angela and I first met because I was like trying to help my friend outsource payroll. <laughs> and, it's a big responsibility. It, it and, is. It, it, she it was talking really to me, is. and I was like, if I don't have to learn employment law for every state or the state. Like, if I don't have to learn employment law of one state, I will be greatly excited. Like, that will make my day. <laughs> Those are growing pains for agencies, right? Is is yeah. learning. How about just paying people in different states? Like every time we join, <laughs> every time you're a SaaS company and you add someone on payroll in a new state, someone's got to go learn how to deal with that law. Or, or the or, state yeah. within the state, like San Francisco and LA. Oh, Don't talk about California. You guys. I'm in California. So yeah. you I are. With, with you and your goats and dogs are all in California. Uh, I mean, we might we might all live in, well, if, if we had someone on this call from New York, we would live in the three most or four most like do it yourself states, right? We got Texas. Yeah. I'm in Florida. Yeah. Lauren's in California. And really, the only other state that really is really opinionated is New York. Right. New well, Jersey. and maybe New Jersey maybe and Illinois. We can throw that. Yeah, you're actually it's right. Funny they, to me, right? Yeah. Because because I was what I was gonna say is the landscape is like super changing. Like, who would have thought a state like Texas has localities like Austin and Dallas and Houston that are considered are considering statutory paid time off regulations for every type of worker? So it's it's really it's because it's really starting to seep into. Things, you know, in states that we never thought it would be possible. Because all of the Californians left California because it's too Gosh, expensive. Darn now it. they're going to Texas and making it too expensive. Those dang Californians. I know. We oh, are in trouble, I tell you. You're really going to have a lot of opinions in Texas soon. And the old Texans aren't going to like them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> anyway, absolutely. Well, well, this has been awesome. I think I gave you my philosophy on work and um, probably why I'll be unemployable at some point in my near, near future. <laughs> 
thank God I have a bunch of businesses <laughs> I help organize and consult with. Oh, yeah. Well, Angela, how do people find you? How do people learn more about MyBasePay? Find me on LinkedIn, Angela Alberti. Albert with a Y at the end is the easiest way I tell people. I post things pretty often, just basic things on what's happening with the contingent workforce in general. That's my passion. And like you guys, y'all didn't grow up wanting to be a part of the staffing industry. This is an industry that finds you. And we are all a part of this interesting industry. Mine is around the realms of what most people consider the headache, which is back office. And that's what I talk about on LinkedIn is things that are happening within our world and particularly within the back office and contingent workforce space. Well, now I have to know what you went to school for. I was in school for broadcast journalism. So I went to school, I got the intern, I was at PBS, I was at Channel 2, and then I graduated and realized what entry-level reporters make. And I was like, deuces, bye. I'm never going back to this industry again. You threw up the deuces. I am one of seven, seven children that have student loans, and that's not going to be realistic for me. So then I got into corporate America and eventually found... Staffing. All right. So we have a journalist, a teacher, and a musician on this call. <laughs> Go uh, liberal arts, right? <laughs> yeah. My, 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 yes. wife, my wife is now an attorney who was a singing teacher or a, a chorus teacher. So, Wow. Are. That's yeah. an interesting one. Yeah. yeah. She, she has a dual degree in French opera and music education oh. from the from I the need U. to talk to her. I need to know which. Well, how, how, how she ended up with me? Is that what you're... I'm, and we, we are we are great wine connoisseurs. There's a natural wine shop that we have a subscription to down the corner. So anyway, well, staffing does that to you. Uh, it's true. Being an attorney does that to you. Well, that's true too. Angela creates great content. So if you're not following her on LinkedIn, you should because she breaks down things that I want to stick my head in the sand about into digestible information, which is super important and valuable. Uh, and if you're not following Lauren, I don't know where you've been if you're in the staffing and recruiting <laughs> industry. So. Uh, ladies, thank you so much. It is an, an honor and a privilege to be a, a guy, a unwoke human male. I'm kidding. On this call. And I'll see you guys soon. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, thank you guys for tuning into the You on the Experience podcast. This is Rob. And I'm Lauren. Now go do something good. Bye, guys. <laughs>